Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Portia is particularly nervous and sees something moving toward the three of you. You know that it's a dinosaur. Oh my god. <laughs> oh shit. Honestly, get the fuck out of here. Like it, it rips whatever shirt you're wearing and like gouges into your chest. I'm hit. I'm hit. So I'm gonna shout like get under the car and then try and get under the car. You like catch the you catch part of the something underneath the car and cut your arm. And so the creature misses on the bite. There's a god. Hell yeah. Nick has his arms raised in glory. <laughs> what happened its mouth is? I'm like, dodge! <laughs> yeah. Get away. But your shot rings out and hits the creature. You don't think it really hits it in a vital spot, but it definitely, I mean, it definitely makes good contact, and the dinosaur, like, roars out in pain and takes off in the other direction. We obviously don't want, like, a dinosaur to just be running around, right? It's only murdered two people. <laughs> if the dinosaur is, like, runs down Main Street, like, past the, the gas and sip or whatever, it's, it's like... We're causing up a stir. It's no longer quiet. And the pain Portia is excruciating, and you uh, you fall unconscious. Chester, Ohio, May third, nineteen twenty two. Arthur Hunt stumbled his way through the main square of Chester, trying and failing to avoid the eyes of those who passed by as he made his way through the small town. He had already walked a few miles from the farm his aunt had owned, the farm that he now owned, and had nearly finished the bottle of liquor he carried, clumsily hidden in a brown paper bag in his right hand. He wasn't sure if what he was hearing was in his head, or if the townsfolk had decided they didn't care about being overheard anymore. But either way, he knew what words had come to mind for them as they passed. Bastard. Drunk. Thief. Orphan. And, Arthur admitted to himself, it was hard to argue with them. He had never met his father, it was true. His mother had given birth to him 16 years ago, and had left just a few years after that. Bastard? Check. Orphan? Check. Arthur wasn't sure he would use the word drunk to describe himself, but he certainly was drunk at the moment. He'd been drinking since he was 12, and now he had to rely on bootleggers to keep him supplied since Prohibition. Maybe he wouldn't use the word drunk, but it was hard to deny. Thief was the hardest of the words to prove, but he had been kicked out of the local school for stealing from his classmates. Maybe he had stolen things from time to time, but they always deserved it, and anyways, not having to go to school just gave him more time to drink. Drunk? Check. Thief? Check. Arthur Hunt continued past the onlookers and trudged toward his destination as the sun was starting to set. He looked out across the horizon and caught a perfect glimpse of Chester's most distinguishing feature, and the destination of his journey. The Chester Mounds. People said that the natives had built the mounds, but Arthur didn't care much about that. They were a good place to drink and play cards, and that was good enough for him. Or it had at least been good enough until he'd heard about the gold. Arthur might have been a bastard, a thief, a drunk, and an orphan, but soon he was going to be rich. He turned his head to look at the pickaxe slung over his shoulder and smiled. He would dig until he found the gold, and then he'd buy up everything in this town until he made sure that no one would ever be able to look at him that way again.
So, growing up, I I don't have any siblings, but I, I have uh, four cousins um, who, one of them's two years older, one's one year older, one's one year younger, and one's two years younger, so, and they're all, they're all guys, and so we were, we were all super close when I was younger. One of my cousins, um, growing up, was absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs. Did any of you, what, what do you all think of dinosaurs? Both, what did you think of dinosaurs before we recorded the last episode, and what do you now think of dinosaurs? <laughs> I mean, when I made my prediction, I truly thought it was like the most outlandish possible thing. I was like, there's no play. There's no way uh, some role playing game is going to have us encounter dinosaurs. But here we are. I don't know. I never really got into the whole dinosaur thing when I was a kid. I don't think. I think I really liked that. I knew that like uh, pterodactyl started with a P and like other than that, uh, I was good. I was really into dinosaurs. I knew, like, as a kid, I knew, I knew, like, all of them. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, you, could, you could show me, you could show me a picture of one, and I would, I would tell you uh, what its name was. So, do you know what kind of dinosaur this is? Did you, did you recognize it no, when I showed you the picture? I, no, I'm, that that knowledge is is out the window now. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm talking like five, six, like seven years old, like that, that, uh, that age, but. Um, yeah, I, I still, I, I wouldn't say that I still have, like, knowledge of dinosaurs or, or am, am super into them, but I do love the Jurassic Park movies. Um, I've probably seen the first Jurassic Park, like, I don't know, 20 times. Wow, wow, yeah, so you're you're really big into dinosaurs. So glad, glad you're on our team. I definitely watched a lot of Land Before Time as a child and really liked them. Same, same. So, you know, like, I still know the songs for sure. But I actually, just last week, I was at Universal Studios, and they just redid their Jurassic Park ride, and it kind of blew me away. It was really good. <laughs> and while you wait in line, they have these, like, TV screens, and the video content is as if you're at Jurassic World, and so it's explaining the different dinosaurs in the cages, and, like, I don't know. I got very into the moment. It feels like you're there, and it was really cool. And I was thinking about how, if that were real, people really would be so intrigued and enamored with the concept of dinosaurs being around for us to see that I do think it would be crazy popular. But obviously then the, you know, clear problem is if the dinosaurs are smarter than you, what happens? Yeah, it's, so, it's bad. It's bad. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've been in that mindset actually quite recently, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in a, in a, in a less friendly uh, encounter with a dinosaur, we left off with the three of you, uh, being leaving the culvert uh, that led underneath the Hunt Electrodynamics plant and being attacked by a, a pickup truck-sized dinosaur with a, a mouth full of sharp teeth and sharp claws. It attacked and, and wounded both uh, Portia and Ben, and but somehow they were both able to kind of jump underneath the car, and Portia, Portia's shot scared it off, and it started running away. But, you know, as three... Uh, good, somewhat experienced Delta Green agents that you are, you knew that your primary role is to is to stop the incursion. And this is clearly, you know, if not the incursion, it is certainly it is certainly an incursion of the unnatural. And so you uh, all got in the SUV and sped off to try to chase the dinosaur down. Now, we left things with me saying that Portia uh, fell unconscious because of uh, Ben's clumsy attempt at first aid. If, if people ever start listening to this podcast, if it becomes popular, I know there will be a subset of people in the world 
who call me a soft GM because about of what I'm about to say. But I am at 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 my at, at my core a storyteller and want to tell the best story possible. And I don't want I don't want the game to be affected by one of my players attempting to do something and not being fully aware of the possible consequences. And so, what we are going to say is that you know, Portia, you feel this excruciating pain as Ben accidentally jabs this Q-tip uh, into this open, fresh wound. And for a moment, you black out, right? You lose vision, you're in so much pain, and your body has taken so much uh, trauma over the last, you know, 12 hours or so that you black out for a moment. But you do come back to, and so you're still at three hit points. You have not fallen unconscious, but I need you to make me an immediate drive at minus 20 check. Okay. I'm glad to still be here in the game with you guys. Okay. Minus 20. Yeah, the haters can give you shit, Eric, but we're we're happy to have a, a, a yeah. soft GM. Oh my god. Oh, oh no. No. <laughs> no, we're in trouble. Oh no. <laughs> no we're in you trouble. can't save this, Eric. You can't save us. No, this, this I can't save. Um, and so... Uh, <laughs> Tell the folks at home what happened. Sarah has rolled a 100, um, which is the worst possible fumble <laughs> in this game. This is the ball don't lie version of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I told myself exactly what was going to happen in case of a fumble. I was thinking about it. I was like, if if Porsche fumbles this drive roll, I know what's going to happen. We're going to die out here. And so, Porsche, you black out for a moment... And as you come back to you, you know, you've, you've kind of lost control of the car for a second and you hit a bump and the SUV flips over. Oh, my God. And starts spinning and rolling. Um, Portia and Ben, the two of you are at three hit points each. And so I'm going to need both of you to make me a, a, a con times 50 minus 20 roll. Constitution, and then the modifier is minus twenty. Minus twenty. And both of your constitutions are both down from the the radiation poisoning. That is a fail. All right, so so both of you fail. We've got a twenty-five over twenty for Portia and a seventy over twenty-five for Ben. And so yeah, the the car flips out of control. From uh, from Sunny, I need you to make me a Dex check. Or an athletics check, which, whichever is better for you, a dex or an athletics check. With any sort of modifier? Uh, no, no modifier. Okay, then I think dex without a modifier is higher. Jesus oh, no. Christ. All right, so how many hit points do you have, Sonny? Ten. All right, so you take seven points of damage. Jesus! <laughs> um, but you remain conscious as the car spins around and uh, and comes to a comes to a stop totally destroyed the dinosaur has run off and and you've lost it and you go to check uh, the pulse of both of your companions and neither of them have a pulse anymore what <laughs> oh no oh. what yeah what <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking fantastic. We died in the Avenge us. Avenge us. 
Death Valley. We died in Death Valley. You died in Death Valley. <laughs> you yeah. died in, in you died in Hellbend, California. <laughs> well, and this is I've, this has never happened to me in a game before. Is there any coming back from a no pulse situation? Uh, not, I mean, not out in the middle of the desert like this with a destroyed car. Like, you know, in theory, like if you if you had sustained these wounds, but you were near, uh, you know, a medical facility, maybe they could try to get you back. But by the time that by the time that Ben would be able to get you back somewhere, I mean, and the nearest hospital is is an independence, right? Like it, it's so far away, yeah. you know, and, and as an experienced, you know, it's it's been a little while since he's been in the field, but as an experienced field agent... Sonny knows this too, right? Like he he immediately knows that uh, both his his partners have died. <laughs> um, and actually, because of that, um, I need you to roll me a sanity check. Oh my Great. god! What else? What else do you want from me? <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking that that uh, I, I was just thinking that uh, you know going on me me hurting portion. Her going unconscious while driving was the worst thing that could possibly happen, but it was not, in fact, the worst thing that could possibly happen. There was something the, much worse. Can the cubes? Can the cubes help? I don't know. <laughs> two two critical fumbles in a row. Like who, what? How? Who does that? Yeah, it's never seen it's, anything it's, like it's, it. It's pretty bad. So, we should have put the cube. We should have put the cube in the arch. Couldn't have been worse. We should have. Um. So you actually you don't take any sanity damage. Um. You know, you've seen people die before. Um, even people close to you die before in 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 the in the field, um, and so you you don't take any sanity damage. You are hurting, right? Um, you know, you are you suffered, you know, definitely some wounds, um, some some major significant bruises and and cuts and things. Um, you know, your head's ringing. Every every part of your body is sore, and you've also just now discovered that your two partners have died. Your car is crashed miles out into the desert. Um, there's no way that you're going to be able to get it running again. And the creature that you had just discovered has run off and disappeared. Where's your head at right now? Uh, it's... I'm trying to distinguish Sonny's head from Nick's head right now. Um, you can you can tell me what's in Nick's head too. That's fine too. Both both are good. I mean, Nick's Nick's head is just. Uh, I mean, it's almost comical how bad things have, twi- have twisted for us in the last thirty seconds. Uh, and so I'm almost laughing at how bad the situation is, uh, even though I'm also mad. I'm like nervous that I now have to play the rest of the game on my own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, I think Sonny, um, all of the the field agent memories or, or training kind of kicks back in, and he's on you know high alert, high survival mode. Obviously, there's nothing I can do for the two of them, other than some you know magical element, which I I don't necessarily think we're in that situation. I'm remembering that our phones are dead. Uh, I'm assuming that applies to both the phones that I have, the Delta Green burner and the regular phone. That's correct, yeah. So if there's any person that I'm wanting to get in touch with now, it's it's the the, the Delta Green handler whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, Agent Trelvane. Agent Trelvane, that's right. I'm thinking that the dinosaur has run off. I'm assuming that 
pushes shot wounded the dinosaur in some way and so that's what it is escaping for i think maybe it's smart enough to be a predator but maybe not smart enough to realize that we are damaged hurt you know dead <laughs> um so it is going to continue running off so main goal right now is just to get back to safety and then get in touch with uh with with delta green as soon as possible because we don't exactly just want two more dead bodies lying out there in the desert. I'm assuming there's going to be patrols at some point in time the next day, and it would certainly be hard to explain what has happened. So we need to clear the scene as best as we can. So I know you said uh, that that all of our phones are dead, but I, I made a point to say earlier that um, I have like a bunch of uh, like chargers and, and portable like batteries and, and things like in my backpack so uh i feel like that might help and i don't know if delta green has some sort of like a like an extraction like you know if extraction if, if plan you... yeah 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 um yeah i guess that's probably a good place to start though it's like you know the car is damaged and done gone but can at least be taking uh uh taking inventory of the things I have on hand and if I have portable battery plugging my phone in ASAP and trying to just assess my injuries while I wait in the protection of the destroyed car yeah gotcha um so go ahead and give me um give me a luck roll um and while you're doing that I'll say that you you are able to to kind of find you're able to find Ben's bag uh you plug in one of the portable batteries and it doesn't seem like your phone, it doesn't seem like a battery issue to you. It seems like something in that room kind of shorted shorted the phone, both phones. And because of your failed luck roll, the 85 over 50, also the, the rifle seems to have broken uh, in the crash. There is a handgun that is still okay, so you do still have a weapon, but the rifle is gone. Fantastic. Okay, and we're about what, two miles out from the hotel, probably? You're probably three miles from the center of Hellbend, but Furnace Creek is uh, further out than that. So let me let me get an exact distance for you. So thinking, like, how do Delta agent, Delta Green agents get in touch with Delta Green if their burner phones break? Like, I mean, they can find a new phone. They just... It's not like a phone number you can call. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to find a new phone. I mean, you know, at least in this case, actually, you're, you're somewhat lucky because you know her name. Like, not you wouldn't always know your handler's name or who they really were. Like, in this case, you actually do, which is, um, you know, kind of Oh, convenient. like you could just find Kimberly Trollvane online or something? Well, she's an FBI agent. You know she's an FBI agent at the Sacramento office, oh, right? So you, you, you actually know how to find her, even if you can't immediately find her. You do, like, in theory, know how to find her. True. So, uh, so Furnace Creek is, um, is about 10 miles south of Hellbend. And so you're probably 13 miles or so away from the Furnace Creek Ranch. Fantastic. I did the gas and sip. Make sure you grab that, <laughs> that water. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I unfortunately don't think that uh, getting to Furnace Creek is much of an option, at least in a reasonable amount of time. And even trying to hitchhike would probably not be very successful. There is a payphone you remember at the gas and sip, if that's an option you want to take. 
Right. You also, you know, you have met a few people who live in town. You know, you you had a conversation with Emily Warren. So, you know, in theory, you could you could try to do something in Hellbend, um, or you could walk, or or you yeah, could I, bring those two cubes <laughs> back into the tunnel and see what happens. Believe me, it's uh, just leave it it's, all. It's in the back of my head. There is a, a, a fuck it kind of choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that I don't see a way that doing that though necessarily gets rid of your guys's bodies um which another two dead people in this small town is only going to make the matter worse and the story bigger and draw more attention an fbi agent and a and a journalist and a journalist <laughs> unless it's time travel and you can go back in time and save us unless yeah unless i can choose where to time travel to with this stone arch that has terrifying mist surrounding it. <laughs> um, you just throw us in there and see what happens. Means I gotta drag your guy's body down there. Oh, that's true. God damn. I, I, think, the, I think the immediate situation has turned from, damn, I guess no, like, I mean, number one goal is to stop the incursion. But I don't see a way of doing that that doesn't leave their bodies and this uh, wrecked car just stranded out there in the desert for people to find. So I think the number one goal has to be figuring out a way to sort of extract them and and cover this up. Sorry, one thing is, so I I don't think that our bodies in this car look related to something supernatural though, right? Like you can't tell that we were attacked by a dinosaur. Like we just, it could, we could have just crashed. Yeah, either way, it's still, it's still an FBI agent and a journalist oh, yeah. who yeah. are found together in the middle of the desert after two people were yeah. recently murdered there. It's not, it's not great. It's not great. It definitely would be a messy situation for you, right? Like it would be a messy situation for Sonny because this was the person that you were working with, right? Like uh, Portia was your partner on this case. And so, you know, if all three of you died, Delta Green might... You know, they, they may be concerned about the incursion, but they wouldn't be concerned about whatever got spun up about, you know, some sort of conspiracy about the FBI working with the media, right? Because they don't really care about that. It was your it was your FBI contact that said to keep things quiet. Um, your Delta Green contact didn't... They don't really care too much about that as long as there's no indication of the program or something unnatural. But for Sonny, who is still alive, that would bring a whole mess on you, right? Because you would probably be called in. You'd have to... You'd probably go through... You know, um, oh. you'd, you'd be questioned about it. You'd have to go through all sorts of things about like why this happened. So th it, that would be a real mess for you. Right. And I, I'm assuming by getting in touch with Delta Green that they would be able to, they'd be willing and able to help with this situation. Is that a wrong thing to assume? Well, I would think that if you can get in touch with a phone, Delta Green would send backup to you. That's like Delta Green backup, right? Delta Green's goal is always to protect their interests, right? And so they would need to make a decision. I mean, and you're probably thinking about this. They would need to make a decision on whether it makes sense to... I think they would have to think about what makes the most sense to cover everything up and to get rid of the problem that you continue to you know, know exists out there. We're going we're gonna to need a minute here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just, as you're thinking, let me kind of let me kind of talk through a couple of the the things that you, as an as a somewhat experienced as a somewhat experienced Delta Green agent, but as a very experienced regular agent, would be thinking about. Totally, the bodies out there 
are evidence that someone will find if you don't do something about them. The, the dinosaur and the culvert, though I think the dinosaur more so, is likely to, you know, interact with people again. The culvert might sit there forever and nobody would ever find it, though, you know, it seems like, it seems pretty likely that Clifford Potter found it. But that could sit there and not be as much of an immediate worry, but the, the dinosaur is a worry. But I think you're also thinking in the back of your head, is it easier for them to, you know, have you continue along in this investigation? Or is it easier for them to cover up any involvement that the three of you had, send another team out there completely? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that pro that thought is probably in the back of your head. It's like, what is, what is the most expeditious cover-up of this? And I think the last thing that you're probably thinking is, you know, you know what your duty is. But if you called Delta Green and said, I took care of things, Portia and Ben died along the way, we need to get rid of their bodies, but don't ever actually mention the culvert or the dinosaur or or say that you took care of them, would anyone know? I mean, I'm assuming if I do that and don't actually do anything about the problems that are uh, at hand, that they're going to find out. <laughs> Well, they certainly would find out if a dinosaur killed someone again, right? So, like, maybe the dinosaur right. is, is pressing, but maybe maybe you can leave that archway alone and never mention it to anyone ever again. Right. Of the of the like the the two supernatural things that we've encountered right now, yeah, the culvert is not where I'm immediately heading. I think again, that would be a uh, a, a fuck it sort of you know finding out more thing, but then would not lead us anywhere because. Uh, the second the sun is up and they're coming out and patrolling or uh, the second I find it all, like I'm at three hit points and are probably going to get killed by whatever comes through there. I think the thing, the thing that I'm really weighing right now is what will be easier uh, going after the dinosaur and trying to find it or getting to Hellbend and calling Delta Green and hoping that they uh, still find me of some value and uh, instead of throwing me under the bus, letting me get screwed up, like, you know, investigated by the FBI and all that kind of stuff, that they send immediate help to continue on the mission, basically, while we have everything that we have already, like the, the sort of, you know, progress that we have made. With a, a broken rifle and one handgun, I don't think that going after their dinosaur is the best idea. Also, it being dark uh, in the middle of the desert and really having no clue where it is. So I think I'm assessing my injuries, doing any sort of first aid if I, or attempting any sort of first aid that I might need if I do, rounding up the, the Kevlar vest, the handgun, as much ammo as I can, and a backpack full of you know, the things that we have, the notebooks, the film tape, the cubes, and trying to make it back to the gas and sip. Weird suggestion. Sure. What if you keep the gold because it's valuable, but what if you like burned everything else? So there's no evidence. And then, and then you walk back to Hellbend and you're like, my partner got pissed off at me. You know how women are or something. She drove away. So you don't say we died, but it's like, 
I drove away. I gave up on the mission. You got stranded in the desert. You were, you know, looking at the plant or something. And then you get Delta Green to come fix stuff. But Or is that bad for you and your career? No, I mean, I think, I mean, it'd certainly be bad for my career. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, your agent died, your partner died and you set her body on fire? <laughs> but like... I don't know. Does that like take away all the evidence and stuff? I don't know. Isn't well, that yeah, I mean, I think what they should do? I think that's what Delta Green would expect you to do. That's what they would expect to, yeah, to obscure our involvement there. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good suggestion. I think I, fuck, that's so terrible. Um, but do you, do you even have materials that you'd be able to set? That's also where gas in the car. I guess if the, yeah, there's gasoline. I'm sure it's spewing places after having turned over and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know the, the the science behind this, but you know, plenty of times in movies you shoot a couple rounds at it and uh, it goes up. So that's the most possible thing, probably. I don't. I doubt we have like matches or anything in the first aid kit or something like that. Yeah, uh, I feel like there's also the possibility that you could like shoot the car and then injure yourself. Yeah, there's also... Or it calls the dinosaur back. The dinosaur is <laughs> like, what's that bright, shiny thing? And then... Yeah, I mean, you, you certainly could try any of those things. Um, you know, and this is going to be a, probably a long night for you anyway. So, like, if you wanted to go and yeah. buy some, like, buy a couple rags and some and a couple lighters from the gas and sip and then come back out, yeah. you could do that too. That, that was my thought. I mean, I at least have the, the night to clear you know the bodies and the evidence because if if deputy andrasi like does his patrols like he says he does it's not happening until the daytime so if i'm able to make it to the gas and sip and able to make a call i'll be able to go back whether or not that increases the chances of running into the dinosaur i don't know yeah so i think i think at this point you're 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 walking back to I mean, you're, you're probably at least walking generally in the direction of Hellbend. And so what is the first thing you want to try to accomplish? I, and I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Like my injuries are sustained enough. You're not, you're not going to pass out. Um, okay. You also now know the risks of attempting first aid on yourself uh, as someone who's not very good at it. So that's your choice <laughs> at this point, but I'm not going to, but I won't, I won't give a second chance again. Yeah, I have a, I have a ten first aid, so I don't I don't think we're doing anything. I had a thirty, and uh, and you <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> I, I think the first thing I want to do is uh, is get to that payphone and try and get in touch with Agent Travain because I'm thinking if there's any like easier not easy but like an easier way out of all this or going forward, it's with the assistance of Delta Green. Because I don't think calling Bakersfield uh, like would get us into a whole other mess. It would the kind of backup we need here is Delta Green backup. So I'm trying to get to the gas and sip to use the phone. If I can do that without coming in contact with Jarvis and other people there, great. But if I need to see them, you know, I can, you know, pretend like everything's okay at least, and then get to the phone. Yeah, I, I would say that you you would have a little bit of trouble pretending like everything's okay um, because you're, you know, you're what are you talking pass, about? You're, <laughs> you're not going to pass out, but you also, you know, you don't, you do, you were just in a very serious, uh, very serious car accident, and so you look like you were just in a very serious car accident. 
that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, try to lie to them or something like that. And it's also like it's around probably 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Gas and Sip's probably not still open. You know that Jarvis and Montgomery live there. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of up to you how you want to approach it. And the payphone is outside. So like you can access the payphone outside if you want. But they might see you also if they're, you know, looking outside or if they're right. wandering around I mean, outside or anything like that. I'm not. I mean, that that's fine. If they see me out there and then they want to come talk to me, great. We can cross that bridge when we get there. I think I'm going to try and use the phone on my own first, hoping I have some fucking quarters. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, do, I think that's my that's where I'm going. OK. Are you trying to be sneaky uh, once you get close to the gas and sit? Yeah, certainly not trying to draw too much attention to myself. Yeah. All right. So go ahead and roll me, um, roll me a stealth check. All right. So that's a nineteen under fifty. And so you, um, as you get close to the gas and sip, you see, you know, they're, they've got a couple of, you know, like street lights that that shine over the gas and sip. One is kind of flashing, like they're they're not very strong. And you kind of swing around, uh, around back and stay in as much darkness as you can until you're right up next to the building and then you kind of inch your way along and you are able to, you're able to get to the payphone. No one has come outside. Like you, you don't know whether anybody's seen you from, you know, upstairs or anything like that, but um, but nobody is saying anything at this point. Okay, then. And and it's fine, you you have quarters. You've got, you've got some quarters <laughs> in your pocket. I was gonna say, can I get a luck roll and see if there's a coin in the slot? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you've got some quarters. I've got a quarter. Okay, so then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, calling the the Sacramento office and trying to get in touch with Agent Chavane. All right, so I am going to need a luck roll to see whether you you uh, committed to memory uh, the number from for your contact. Could I counter that and say that one of my intelligence scores was having a photographic memory? Oh, that's true. It was. Um, so give me an intelligence check instead. It's a little bit better, right? 14 times 5. Yeah, that's higher than 50. Yep, that's 70, yeah. right? That is, a, uh, that is a critical success. So not only do you remember the number, but you specifically remember the number of the burner that uh, that agent, that Special Agent Charlvane gave you because you have a photographic memory and because you remembered to look at it specifically just in case of a situation like this. And so you actually know the direct line to her burner phone. Then yeah, I think I'm going to I'm gonna call that number directly and try and yeah, get in touch with, with her. Uh, yeah, she uh, she picks up on, on the first ring and says... Uh, yes. And that's all she says. Yeah, Agent Chalbane, this is uh, Agent Lau calling from from Hellbend. Uh, we've had a slight mishap with the, the current situation. What assistance do you need? Some medical evac or um, uh, extraction of uh, Marks and McKissick, as well as... Uh, some help uh, obscuring the the evidence of our involvement here, if possible. Um, some additional agents to continue the mission would be helpful as well. I think, despite the current situation, we were able to make some good progress and could could be more successful um, going forward. She thinks for a moment, considers, and asks to clarify what what is the status of. Agents Marks and McKissick? Marks and McKissick are both currently unconscious and presumed dead. Understood. Can you uh, give me an, an approximate location to uh, to their whereabouts along with yours? 
They're approximately two miles north of my current location. Uh, my current location is at the <laughs> the gas and sip located in Hellbent. All right, Agent. Your orders are to return to the location of Agents Marks and McKissick. Uh, we will send a team that can assist with uh, medical evac and evac of you as well. We don't want you to continue solo. Um, we'll bring you back for a debrief and uh, decide on a plan after that. Is there anything else that needs to be taken care of immediately? Can you ask for like some kind of big scale materials to take care of this dinosaur? I feel like a helicopter would make it easy, but that's obviously pretty noticeable. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly how much I want to tell her after that response. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so my answer would be, no, there's nothing else to be concerned about at the moment. Orders understood. Uh, we'll return to the uh, to Agent Marks and Agent McKissick's location. Thank you, Agent. And she hangs up the phone. So you would have some sense that, you know, they're probably going to dispatch a helicopter or something like that with a team. You know, if, they're, if, if the dispatch is coming from Sacramento, I mean, it's probably still a couple hours out. Uh, especially for them to kind of get the team ready and uh, get it out there. What's your plan? So, I guess, stepping back for a second. I mean, this is Nick's my first experience with Delta Green, and, you know, this is Sonny's second, probably, based on, you know, the stuff that we talked about. Am I overthinking things to to think that they're going to immediately eliminate me or that they are going to actually be... Uh, evacuating me for debriefment and then not uh, just getting rid of me. Right. So you're you're not overthinking things to be thinking about that. I think that's exactly what would be going through Sonny's head right now. You do feel pretty confident that they're going to want information from you before they do anything. And so you don't feel like the helicopter is just going to land and they're going to kill you on the spot. Right, because they want to know, they're going to want whatever information you have. You know, if they wanted to get rid of you, they would at least want that information first. Like, a- after that, you're not sure. I don't think you can think of an of a reason why they would necessarily kill you versus, you know, I don't think they think you're a risk to talk to anyone because you called in, you know, because you reported it. So I think you probably think odds are they're going to they're gonna evacuate you. Whether they allow you to continue the mission or not, I think is probably your biggest question mark, but you don't see any reason why they would necessarily like execute you at this point. It doesn't, there, there, wouldn't, there wouldn't necessarily be a reason for that that you can think of. Then I think the, the plan then is to, to go straight back to, um, to the car and to uh, Portia and Ben. I think maybe keeping a bit of a, of a distance or maybe waiting at the gas and sip a little bit. Uh, We're saying that it's probably a couple hours out uh, a helicopter is. Yeah, I mean, with with the having to to get a team of Delta Green agents, get the helicopter and go out. Yeah, a couple hours probably. And you're probably you're probably 45 minutes to an hour away. Right, right. But I think I'm thinking that uh, less time alone in the middle of the desert closer to where the dinosaur is is probably better than more time out there so i would bide some time around the gas and sip and i don't think it's worth um trying to get into the gas and sip necessarily um to get some 
you know, food or, or water, I, I, I think drawing any attention to myself is, uh, or drawing less attention to myself is better. So maybe just hiding out around back or somewhere nearby for an hour or so, and then heading back to the car. I have another very out there question slash idea. Okay. Do, does anyone think, what do we think the odds are that Monty knows any of what's going on out there? I, I think his interviews were honest. I, I don't think he knows. I, I mean, the person who seems to know more about what was going on there was Potter, and that's why he was so interested in talking to Montgomery. I don't necessarily think Montgomery was hiding things. Yeah, I mean, I think Ben... I think Ben also got the impression that Montgomery was being honest and very willing yeah. to talk. And I'm sure he would have shared that with all of you. Yeah. Just thinking of, like, someone who would be willing to help you and not ask questions about weird stuff going on at the hunt site. Yeah, I guess I guess we did learn as well that, like, Emily Warren was the one who talked to the police and not Jarvis. But... Still a risk, yeah. And you don't, and you don't need them. Yeah, I think I'm doing okay enough to, you know, avoid a bag of Cheetos and a bottle of water from inside. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you uh, you hang out, you hang out for a while um, in the back of the gas and sip. You don't hear anything, you know. Nobody is nobody's moving around in Hellbend uh, at this time of night. And then you uh, you start your your hike back out to the SUV wreckage and the uh, the bodies of your two companions. It's a, you know, it's it's definitely dark at this point, especially once you get outside the light that's being given off by the streetlights. But you uh, you make your way back to where the accident was, and you are not attacked by the dinosaur. Um, and it doesn't take very long. You timed it pretty well before you hear a helicopter flying overhead. And kind of once they get outside of, of Hellbend and out over uh, the plant around where you mentioned uh, that, that you were going to be, they start sh- kind of shining a, a spotlight down and they're able to, to find you and they come down and land. You know, a, a, a set of heavily armed military personnel, it seems like, fill out of the helicopter. Two of them grab you and usher you into the helicopter. And there's a there's a doctor, uh, a military doctor in the helicopter who starts uh, treating your wounds. Um, you look outside and you see that uh, the team is working quickly to take the two bodies, uh, Portia's body and Ben's body, and put them in the SUV. Um, I guess they were already in the SUV, but to to make sure that they're in there along with anything else. And they put a rag in the gas tank and light it, and then all walk, kind of run away as uh, as the SUV explodes and lights on fire. You have the cubes, right? Yeah, I, I, I took everything of importance out of it. I think the only thing that maybe was still in there is the the dragonfly. Mm. No, but the cubes, I was just thinking, you know, you might want the, the finances yeah, I, that they can I, afford. If I, if I didn't say everything, I mean, I, I, I the the cubes, the notebooks, the, the tapes, I'm assuming I went through Ben's bag as well. So any important notes that he took or anything like that, I put into my backpack. So it's, yeah, just the dragonfly. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Um, and so they they return to the helicopter, and you all uh, you all fly away. And again, it takes a couple of hours. You land at a uh, a military base uh, somewhere in the Bay Area. You're not sure exactly where it is, 
and you are escorted by a few of the military men into the military base and into a back room, and Agent Charlvane is is sitting in the room um, and invites you to uh, to take a seat in the chair opposite her in the table. You you can you can picture this scene. You know you've you've seen this in uh, in in cop shows or in, in 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 other types of thriller shows. You know what this room looks like, and you know she has a she has a recorder on the table. And she she starts it and uh, asks you to tell her everything that uh, that went on on the mission. So what do you tell her? What do you not tell her, if anything? You know what? Yeah. What information are you providing to your Delta Green handler? I'm not really seeing any value right now in hiding information from her. You know, if I don't reveal the things that we found and the progress that we made, then, you know, we weren't good at our jobs. And there is no reason to keep me on this project, let alone in Delta Green at all. They can just, you know, let me go and not, you know, have me back for any missions or whatever. And whether or not they help with the FBI situation, who knows? So I do think I have to be straightforward with her with what we found and try and persuade her that my, you know, knowledge of the situation and the the environment and, you know, the the tubes and, and everything is going to be helpful. All right. So you share with her the encounter that you had with the dinosaur. You share with her the the culvert, the tunnel, the the archway. You share with her the two cubes, the one that you found in Clifford Potter's root cellar and the one that uh, Agent Marks pulled from the archway. Right. I think that's, yeah, I, I think that's the other thing as well is, you know, I don't think there's a situation where they don't immediately check the things that I have. I don't think I'm keeping that backpack and just holding it to my chest. So I have to somehow explain for the things that I have. So I think, yeah, I have to, yeah, explain the cubes, I explain the, you know, the, the culvert, I ex- yeah, the, explain the encounter with the dinosaur, I explain what went wrong, how Portia and, uh, and Ben went down, and yeah, again, explain that, you know, we feel like, you know, we were getting close and on the verge of, of uh, at the very least, being able to, you know, kill and uh, obtain the dinosaur. Gotcha, okay. And then do you also, do you tell her about the, the dragonfly that was that was left behind in the wreckage? I don't think that's necessary. I think if anything, I mean, obviously she knows that I withheld some things from her now, but I think better to uh, avoid the the implication that, you know, me withholding information led to like evidence being destroyed or something like that. I think if you know, the dragonfly is not coming back to life or anything like that, we already have evidence with the dinosaur and other things that prehistoric creatures are coming from somewhere, presumably the arch. Uh, so a, a dragonfly in some formaldehyde is not uh, going to be of any help. Go ahead and give me a persuade check. Jesus Christ. All right. She, she, that, that was a, that was a 99 over uh, 50. So uh, that was a, that was a critical fumble, but she doesn't say anything to you about it. You know, you, you, you 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 lied. You think successfully. She she asks. She says, Agent Lau, I, I just have a couple more questions for you. Do you believe you you mentioned the the tapes 
with Montgomery Green and the interview that Agent McKissick had with Montgomery Green. Do you believe that Montgomery Green knows anything about any of the unnatural occurrences that you've described? I don't think he does. Uh, I think he was was honest in his his interviews with with Potter. I think he was honest in his interviews with Ben. I think he was certainly at the time when he still worked there. I think he was very close to those things without knowing it. But I don't think he had uh, any knowledge of what was actually going on. Do you believe that anyone in Hellbend or anyone related to the case has any inkling of of anything about the unnatural or anything any any uh, of the program's involvement in the situation? I think the only person who was close to figuring anything out was Clifford Potter. I think everyone else in town is very much unaware of what exists under the old hunt plant and still assumes that these these uh, homicides were isolated incidents, potentially still uh, accidental or human related in some way. And my final question, Agent Lau, is do you want to return to this case? And if so, why do you believe that you should? Uh, I, I would want to return to the case. I think that Agent Marks and Agent McKissick uh, and I did make a good team. I think if it wasn't for some very unfortunate incidents at the the end that were, you know, accidental, um, that we would have been able to accomplish the mission. I think that I proved that my sanity levels and ability to handle the things we encountered are, are self-explanatory. And I think my my knowledge of the environment and of the um, of the encounter are are vital to progressing any further. All right, go ahead and give me a persuade check at minus twenty. That is a seventeen under thirty, and so she looks at you and says, "Thank you for sharing the information you have, Agent Lau, and I will certainly take what you've just said under advisement." And then uh, she she uh, she gets up and. Um, opens the door um, and and lets you out first and says, we'll be providing you transportation back to your home. I believe that's in San Diego, is that correct? Yes. All right, we'll be providing you transportation back and we'll uh, reach out once we've, once we've uh, con- considered next steps for this case. And that is where we are going to bring our story to a close. Epilogue, Portland, Oregon, May 11th, 2016. Olive Batista McKissick was looking out the window of her mom's blue Honda CRV as the entrance to her dad's apartment building passed into view. Her mom gave her a questioning look as she pulled the car to the curb. Are you really sure you need to do this now, Olive? Your dad is going to be back soon. Couldn't you just wait till then? No, mom. I left my tools in dad's apartment and I want to surprise him. He said we could work on the computer together, but I want to see how far I can get on it before he gets home. It'll just take a sec. The words were barely out of her mouth before she opened the passenger side door and ran out. When she reached the front door, she pulled her backpack off her back and unzipped it, pulling out a key ring with a few keys on it. She unlocked the front door of the building and walked inside, turned down the front hallway, and made her way to the elevator. When she reached her dad's apartment, she pulled out another key from the key ring and let herself in. 
She thought she had left the set of mini screwdrivers, the magnifying glass, and the other tools her dad had given her to work on old electronics sitting on his dining room table. But when she looked there, it was empty. Ugh, Dad, why do you always move my stuff? She started looking around the apartment, hoping she'd have an easy time finding the tools. She could tell her mom was annoyed, with her and with her dad. Olive was supposed to be staying with him this weekend, and she could tell that her mom didn't think her dad would be back in time. Not for the first time, Olive was grateful that her parents had never gotten married, and never would have worked out. Olive did a quick scan of the kitchen and dining room, and, not finding what she was looking for, she went into the room that served both as her dad's bedroom and his office. Still having trouble finding the tools, she walked over to his bedside table and opened the drawer. She didn't see the tools, but something else caught her attention. Inside the drawer, buried under some other papers, was a manila folder labeled, What I Would Have Written. She'd never seen this before, and she was curious, so she pulled it out and flipped it open. Inside was a printed-out Word document of an article written by her dad, dated January 2008. She started to read. Strangeness in Stephenville by Ben McKissick Residents of the small town of Stephenville, Texas reported several sightings of unexplained objects flying across the sky over the last week, causing fellow townsfolk, law enforcement, and local media to scoff and write them off as delusional. But the New York Times can exclusively confirm that they are not delusional, and they are not seeing things. I have seen them as well. Olive stopped reading as she heard her mother shout from the front of the apartment. Olive? Coming, Mom, she shouted back, stuffing the folder into her backpack. As she did, a business card fell from the folder. She picked it up and read it before tossing it into her bag and hurrying off to find her mom. The card had a phone number written on it, and two words that Olive couldn't get out of her head that night, or for days to come. The program. Chevy Chase, Maryland, May 12, 2016. Edna Knotts was sitting on the couch in her living room, watching television and dozing in and out of sleep next to her wife when she felt a buzz in her pocket. She pulled out a Blackberry, tapped a key on the front to illuminate the display screen, and saw that she had received an email from an unknown sender. More awake now, she asked her wife to pause the show they'd been watching and got up off the couch, in a hurry but trying not to show it. She made her way down to the basement of the house and slipped into her home office, closing the door behind her. She started to power up her computer as thoughts flooded into her mind. Even though the sender of the email was listed as unknown, she knew who it was from. Well, sort of. She didn't know who the person was, but she was pretty sure they were high up in the program, and they had been sending her encrypted information for more than a year. So far, all the information had checked out. She was beginning to trust this person, and she even had a nickname for them. Secret Santa. Edna navigated to her email and opened the one from the unknown sender. This one was short, to the point, and made her breath catch in her throat. It read, An agent of ours, Portia Marks, was recently killed in action. Upon inspection of her home, we discovered information that leads us to believe that her mother, Anastasia Marks, has been exposed. Static protocol is in effect. Below the message, an address in San Francisco, California was listed. Static protocol. I haven't heard that in years. Could they possibly know what that means? They must know. It's the only thing that makes sense. Making up her mind, Edna pulled out a second phone from her pocket, this time a flip phone. She opened it and dialed. Alphonse, this is Charlotte. I received another tip from Secret Santa. They provided a name and engaged static protocol. Yes, I'm sure. I'll get agents on it right away. 
Anastasia Marx is a threat and must be eliminated. Hellbend, California, May 23rd, 2016. An old man was standing underground in a culvert below the old Hunt Electrodynamics plant, listening to the clicks of Clifford Potter's homemade Geiger counter. He was flanked by two women, both with handguns drawn and raised, searching around for any sign of movement. The man seemed much less concerned, however, and focused only on the portable Geiger counter he was holding in his hand. As the pace of the clicks dropped, the man finally looked up. Okay, let's go. One of the women moved ahead, guns still raised, and led the way deeper into the culvert. The man followed, and the other woman trailed behind, guarding their rear. Within minutes, they reached a much larger cavern filled with rubble. A large stone archway sat in the middle of the room, with gray mists seemingly emerging from between the pillars of the archway. All clear, one of the women said after checking around the edges of the room. Then, slightly less formally, she said, Jesus Christ, what is that thing? A portal of some sort, it seems. The man was already studying the archway and didn't look away as he spoke. And you're telling me a dinosaur, a goddamn real-life dinosaur, came out of it? Yes, but don't worry, Agent. Another team's taken care of it already. We have nothing to worry about. The other woman walked over next to the man and started unpacking a black duffel bag she had been carrying, unloading several explosives. Are you sure we shouldn't just light this thing up and be on our way? No, our orders are to examine the device first. As you can see, he said as he pulled out a golden cube from his own backpack, this cube fits in that slot right there. I've translated these symbols from their original ACLO. This side here is the symbol called ASA, meaning the West, the End, or the Last. This one is called SU, meaning the East, the First, or the One. This one, okay, okay, I've got it. You're the expert here. Just do your research and let's get the hell out of here. The man walked forward toward the archway. In order to properly investigate the portal and see its true function, we must ensure that it's in proper operating order. That means we need to replace this cube. As he said it, he climbed up some of the loose rubble on the side of the archway so that he could reach the empty slot near the top. Which side shall we try first? How about sec, he said, inserting the gold cube into the slot. At that moment, an incredibly loud boom echoed through the chamber, so loud that both women instinctively looked down at the explosives to see if they had been set off. They hadn't. But before anyone could figure out the origin of the sound, each of the agents felt the air around them being drawn toward the opening in the archway. The gust of wind knocked the man off balance, and he stumbled on the rubble. Neither woman could do anything to stop the man falling forward through the archway and disappearing. The man landed solidly on his chest and felt the air in his lungs leave him. He had expected to hit rock, perhaps break a bone or two, but he saw now that he laid face down among heavy plant life. He pushed himself onto his feet and found that he was in a tropical jungle surrounded by trees. It was incredibly warm and humid, and the plant life he saw around him looked somehow alien. He was in such a state of shock that it took him a moment to remember to look for the archway, for a way back through. He looked all around, but there was no sign of the archway, no sign of his partners, and no sign of the culvert. The man closed his eyes for a moment, considering his options, when he heard a rustling sound moving through the jungle. Whatever was moving through the trees was huge, and it was coming right for him. It only took a second for his mind to form the word, dinosaur. He started to run. This podcast was published by Arrangement with the Delta Green Partnership. 
The intellectual property known as Delta Green is a trademark and copyright owned by the Delta Green Partnership, who has licensed its use here. The scenario Future Perfect is copyright Dennis Detwiller, and the contents of this podcast are copyright Nature of My Game podcast, excepting those elements that are the components of the Delta Green intellectual property. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at NOMGPodcast.com. <laughs>